I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I was never for one second ever bored. <laughs> during any of my space flights. In fact, uh, kind of the opposite. I, I, I knew that I, you know, my time there was limited. So I only wanted to do things that I could do only there and not when I get back home. I figured when I get back home, I can read any book I want. I can watch any movie I want. So let's not do that there. So I spent my time taking photographs of the Earth, trying to do little experiments or things like that that were fun that you can only do when you're in free fall, you know, you know you're waiting. And um, you know, mostly just sort of looking out the window. Because you could never do that again unless you're back in space again. We have been given the scientific knowledge, the technical ability, and the materials to pursue the exploration of the universe. To ignore these great resources would be a corruption of a God-given ability. Welcome back to the world of Where's My Jetpack. Back in the 1960s, we were promised everything from jetpacks to flying cars and holidays in space. But here we are in the 21st century and not a jetpack in sight. So what happened to those space age dreams? I'm Sarah Crudis. And I'm Luke Moore. And each episode, we'll be taking you on a mission to find out by exploring a different futuristic promise that never was to find out if it was all science fiction or if these great inventions are either just around the corner or lurking in unexpected places. This is episode five, Where's My Space Hotel? Good morning, sir. Good morning. We haven't seen you up here for a long time. No. Did you have a pleasant flight, sir? That's very nice, thanks. So in this week's episode, we're talking about space hotels. And certainly when you, you go back in time, you look at the 60s and you see science fiction, 2001, A Space Odyssey, they're, they're checking into a space hotel. And when it looked like in the 1960s, space was going to be something quite common by the you know mm. the 2020s space hotels were something that people started to imagine people started to dream about them and imagine that you know future generations perhaps even themselves going to a space hotel yeah and i can understand why it seems like a uh, a fairly natural progression where you, you know any any kind of new exotic destination you get tourism i'd love to stay up in a space hotel would you as long as i could get a um alien room service and a flying saucer hire a flying saucer hire. <laughs> yeah. Well, Wayne, first of all, describe your alien room service. Oh, no, but I just, <laughs> I just mean when you get up there, it's got, it's going to have to be exotic. It's going to have to be glamorous. It's going to have to be interesting. And ordinarily speaking, when you go on a holiday, you go and stay in a hotel. You go into the hotel or the holiday destination for a reason. 
with space hotels, whether they're going to be on the moon or on a kind of orbiting spacecraft or whatever, there's not much else to do. So the hotel itself is going to have to be good. Do you think the, the view would be view, good? I was going to say the view. Most people go into space for the view and then also the experience of microgravity and just that, you know, just say you're in space, to say you can look back at the Earth and see our fragile blue Earth, but also to look out at the blackness of space mm. and, and to see stars in a way you, you can't see them on earth and just that just that experience yeah. of, of being in space and and checking into a space hotel does that not excite yeah, that, you that would be cool and i think that yeah that's clearly what most people are going to want to want to do they're going to go out there and want to going to want to experience it they're going to want to say they've been to space all that good stuff but i mean they, they, i mean we're going to find out more on through the course of today's episode of course but they're going to be fairly short trips if there's not going to be nothing else to do right i mean i think it depends what exactly we're talking about but, but to me a space hotel is somewhere where you stay for an amount of time. Otherwise, it's not really a hotel, is it? It's just a trip. Yeah, that is true. And we need to also remember, it, it's not just about work. In fact, those dreams of living in space of a luxury hotel have been around since before space travel even became a reality. In the middle of the 20th century, for the first time in history, man reached beyond his planet and began to probe the mysteries of space. This is one of the tools with which man is creating a new age. But the age of space is also the latest chapter in a story as old as man himself. Before humans had even left Earth, we had started to dream of how we could live in space. In the year 1869, a hundred years before humans had set foot on the moon, science fiction developed the concept of a brick moon in our sky. Our first space station whizzing around the planet, imagined by the American writer Edward Everett Hale. Of course, the idea was way ahead of its time, but it wasn't forgotten. Later, in the early part of the 20th century, two of the fathers of modern rocketry, Konstantin Tilskovsky and Hermann Oberth, began looking seriously at the science behind space stations. Then, as the possibility of humans in space edged ever closer, came another rocket pioneer. This advanced base or space station will be headquarters for the final ascent to the moon. Though it would be the Soviets who would launch the first space station into orbit in 1971, the Americans would follow shortly after with their own version called Skylab, where professional astronauts could live and work in orbit. This is what Skylab looks like inside. Big bigger than any manned spacecraft ever put into orbit. 25 times the working and living area inside an Apollo command module. Three times the size of Russia's Salyut space station. Skylab is not only the biggest, but by far the most complex object ever put into orbit. Later, there was the Mir space station, the pinnacle of Russian engineering. Some of the hazards the crew faced included a near catastrophic fire in 1997, and eventually it burned up in the atmosphere and crashed down to Earth. Not exactly ideal. Mir was followed by the International Space Station, the largest human-made object in space, and today home to around six or seven astronauts at a time. It is nice to see crew arrive from this side of the space station. Radio Sierra X-Ray, we've got you loud and clear aboard the International Space Station. Welcome aboard, it's great to talk to you again, Craig. But for years, the space station was the preserve of professional astronauts. And with no way of washing properly and a toilet you needed to strap in to use, it's not quite the five-star hotel we dreamed of as kids. How do you pee in space? Ooh, we have a funnel. 
Where does your pee go after you flush? A little bit of processing and then right back into the drinking water. <laughs> So you think about it, we went to space uh, and all the early space missions were just a matter of days. It was about mm -hmm. going somewhere to prove something, prove that we could go to space, that a human could actually survive in a spacecraft in space and, and then to do a spacewalk and then to do things like docking and rendezvous and then eventually to land humans on the moon. But what we've been doing since is actually the first step towards hotels in space. We've been learning how to live and work in space. And it was actually the Russians who first came up with the idea of space stations and they concentrated on them mostly because they wanted to use them as a cover for spying platforms. So right. to have <clears throat> cosmonauts, um, that's what the Russians call their astronauts, in orbit and, and have that new vantage point to actually look back at, at Earth and spy on the Americans. Of course, this was the Cold War. So, And from that, that's when we started to get the American. They had their own version Skylab. And, and then we got more development of how humans could actually live in space and work in space. And, and now we get to today with the International Space Station, and astronauts can spend months there at the time. So although we haven't got space hotels right now, we're actually on, we have been laying the foundations for longer yeah. trips in space and more people being go, able to go to space. It's kind of a working hotel, the same way like you would go and stay in the Ramada Inn at Heathrow. You know, it's only really people there who've got a job to do. There's yeah. no real leisure tourism there. Well, you get someone who's going for their flight. You know, you get yeah. someone who might check in. And But but I know what you mean. We, what we're doing, though, is, is laying the foundations. We, yeah. we want to have a space hotel. Oh, we've got to learn to live and work in space. And actually what we saw back in the 1960s is people were so enthusiastic about space tourism that the now defunct airline Pan Am mm -hmm. actually started printing tickets for flights to the moon and flights to space. Have you ever seen 2001 A Space Odyssey? Yes, I have. And have do you remember that scene where the air hostess is strapping her boots? It's a Pan Am space yeah. liner and she's strapping her boots so she can walk uh, like down. Mag the, magnetized, yeah. basically. Yeah, it looks yeah. something like that. Well, that yeah. was, you know, at the same time, Pan Am was actually taking reservations for flights to the moon because this German or Austrian tourist went into a travel agent and said, I want a ticket to the moon. Yeah. And the, the travel agent put this um, idea to Pan Am course it was a great marketing tool but they actually started printing these tickets people signed up yeah. so they expected that they would be doing trips to the moon by now yeah. and that people would be able to stay in hotels there so the idea of space tourism and, and eventually a space hotel was something which was dreamed of in the 1960s so help us out here because you're the expert here sarah and help me and the listeners out is are these structures we're talking about that will eventually become some kind of space hotel or space tourist destination are we imagining them floating in orbit or are they going to be rooted on the surface of a planet or the moon or an asteroid even or something like that? What's the kind of thinking, do you, do you think? Well, it's, it's interesting. I, I think the first space hotel, or just like what we're doing in space exploration, would likely be in orbit around the Earth because mm. if we want to go to the moon, that involves it's further away. We haven't been back there since you know the 1970s, yeah. 1972. So looking at the idea of a space hotel, certainly in science fiction, it was in lots of places, Um Hilton, for example, they developed an idea of a space hotel on the moon with a cocktail bar. I love that. The, the, the artist's impressions are amazing. Oh, have you seen them? Yeah, yeah. Have yeah. you seen the cocktail bar? And they, they decided the cocktails would be pre-mixed so it would be yeah. less work. Yeah, it's Less great. work for the waiter. So <laughs> people, and, and when, I think it was Conrad Hilton, he came up with this idea, he was semi-serious. You know, there was an element of joking. But you so had it like, wasn't just for PR then? It was for PR, but also this, you know, in the same way, Richard Branson registered Virgin Galactic back in the 90s. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was it was a PR thing, but there's an element of seriousness to it. So people have always thought about space hotels, but the challenges are mostly technical. And someone who's an expert in all of this is Laura Forsick, the owner of the space consulting firm Astrolytical. 
on earth we have we take for granted we've got air and we've got you know the ability to have um you know ship food and you know have a, a pipe system a sewer system electricity all these things that we take for granted in our infrastructure that is not existent in space right now so you have to sort of build it up yourself even with the transportation you have to build the transportation yourself or hire it out to somebody else and that's why we don't yet have uh, space hotels because as of yet it has been um, extraordinarily expensive without the infrastructure to actually create one. Yeah, it's going to be clearly very, very expensive for all the reasons stated there. And really, private companies are going to need to see a return. And, and, the, and the, the cost of entry is so high that it's very difficult to imagine anyone actually making any money off it. So what we're seeing now is these really private, really wealthy private individuals taking the first step, I suppose. But it needs to be completely... The, the price of it needs to come down completely, doesn't it, for it to be to to, to be to work? Because of all the things I didn't even consider there, like electricity, water, all this other stuff needs to be taken care of as well. well exactly, and that's why it seems like we haven't done much in space since Apollo. And people are like, "Well, why haven't we been back to the moon?" We've been learning how to live and work in space because, like many other things we've discussed in this series, if we want all these incredible things, it's like this giant kind of like three D jigsaw puzzle, and we need yeah. to crack so many things. So we need to work out how to get more things to space, how to reduce the cost of access to launch. We need to have better toilet systems. I mean, yeah. do you know how the early astronauts used to go to the toilet? Go on. Right. So the, the very first Apollo astronauts, they would, um, for number two, it would yeah. be a plastic bag that yeah. you would strap to yourself. Yeah. Um, so you can imagine in microgravity how messy that is. Yeah. And and for the number uh, number one, it would basically be condoms, which because um, yeah. it was all male astronauts at the time, yeah. they'd have to wear them. And the condoms came in small, medium and large. So yeah. Everyone picked large. <laughs> so they had to rename the sizes of the condoms um, to large, extra large and gigantic. <laughs> That's so funny. That shows you like, the, the ego of the test pilot to yeah. astronaut. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that was kind of... So even basic things like going to the toilet, yeah. it's hugely complicated. So it wouldn't so much be a... You know, it's not a trip. It's not... You, you talked earlier about wanting a luxury vacation. Hmm. It's not like that when no. you go to space. You're in a little capsule yeah. going to the toilet in front of people and yeah. very basic amenities. You can't really shower. Astronauts on the space station have to reuse all the clothes that they wear. Most of the, you know, I think we talked about this before. You but said it absolutely stinks. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. stinks yeah. at all the space station. So it's, yeah. it's, it's not ideal holiday conditions. So there's lots of things to take care of. And it's all things that we take for granted here on Earth, basically. They're the barriers, aren't they? Yeah, lots of different things. But let's look at where we are right now in, in terms of space hotels and just people travelling to space. Seven, six, five, four. Command engine start. Two, one. Go, Jeff. Go, Mark. Go, Wally. Go, Oliver. You are going to space. From Jeff Bezos to Richard Branson. To all you kids down there. I was once a child with a dream, looking up to the stars. Now, I'm an adult in a spaceship. And even William Shatner, a.k.a. Captain Kirk. This whole Blue Origin thing is based on the idea of building industry above the Earth and taking that pollution out of this planet, out of the immediate planet and putting it up there. That's got to be the future of the Earth. Today, we are witnessing science fiction turn into science prediction as people start to take tourist trips to space. In September 2021, Inspiration4, the first ever civilian space mission, launched from the space coast of Florida. 
Today, we are awaiting the return of our four incredible civilian astronauts. The crew spent three days in orbit around the Earth on their Dragon spacecraft. Among them was Haley Arsenault, a pediatric cancer survivor and the first person with a prosthetic body part to fly to space. Soon I'm going to be the youngest American to go to space, but also what I'm really excited about is I'm going to be the first pediatric cancer survivor to go to space and the first person with an internal prosthesis. I'm really excited to show all these kids going through cancer treatment what they can do too. Even the International Space Station has welcomed visitors who aren't professional astronauts. In 2001, Dennis Tito became the world's first spaceflight participant. I spent, as you know, uh, 60 years on Earth, and I spent eight days in space. And from my viewpoint, it was two separate lives. And since his trip, several others have gotten to visit the space station including a Russian film crew consisting of actress Yulia Pereslid and director Klim Shipenko, who spent almost two weeks aboard the space station in October 2021, shooting scenes for a new movie. The last year has seen more and more people able to access space, but don't think you'll be able to see the Earth from the windows of a hotel spa floating around in orbit. Trips are limited to cramped conditions and are still ridiculously expensive, so maybe you don't go packing your bags just yet. So in many ways, you know how we always look at science fiction or, or, or science fact, mm. um, space tourism at least is here. Um, and, and in terms of a space hotel, technically, if you've got the funds and we're talking in the tens of millions, mm. you can pay to go and stay on the International Space Station. Mm. We're seeing with space tourism, different types of people going to space. So mm. Haley Arsenault, who went up with the Inspiration4 crew, She's this pediatric cancer survivor, someone who there's this incredible image of her in space, in orbit around the Earth, with her long flowing hair, holding up a picture of herself as a child going through mm. cancer treatment with no hair mm. and holding that picture up in front of herself mm. while she stood with the Earth in the background. And what's exciting about space tourism, which is the step towards you know, a space hotel eventually, is that it brings in a new type of person who can go to space. And to just think, you know, she, she was 29 years old when she went up and that horrendous thing that happened to her in her childhood and then she could go to space, something mm. she thought would never be possible because she had prosthetic limbs. Maybe mm. She's got prosthetic bones in, in, instead of um, regular bones in her body. Mm. It's incredible. And that's a really uplifting, kind of heartening story and shows you just how inspirational it can be. But all these things are... I mean, we've talked about this and we'll go on to talk about it. Things like reusable rockets, these little building blocks you're talking about to get us into a position where everything leads up, all these different individual parts lead up to the whole and we get ourselves into a situation where um, where we can do things like this. But the space hotel itself, is it is it reasonably being explored as something that could be something to build up to so that we can establish a permanent thing up in space or up on the moon or whatever, as we've talked about before? that it becomes an endless flow of people going back and forward and, and raising money that way because it's obviously a commercial a commercial enterprise, but also gives people, regular people, an opportunity more egalitarianly, in a more egalitarian way rather than just these multi-multi-millionaires. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the idea of space hotel science like science fiction, technically the International Space Station can be a space hotel when people stay on it, but having a purpose-built space hotel is something which is being looked at right now. So it's it's no longer something which is being dreamed about. It's been taken much more seriously because of these 
this new era in space exploration that we're in this new space race for want of a better world. So it will, of course, be one in orbit. That's what companies such as Axiom are looking at. Um, they want to lead a, a private mission to the International Space Station and then later have um, their own private um, lab and, and space facility in orbit. But the, the point about it being just for billionaires and the mega rich mm. is one which is a it's quite a hurdle we face mm. right now and someone who's working to try and counteract that is a guy called dylan taylor who's a great personal friend of mine he's a super angel investor within the space industry and founded space for humanity a non-profit which is looking to democratize access to space and in december of last year he actually went to space aboard blue origins ns19 mission well i think on the on the negative side if we don't uh, take care and uh, democratize sort of access to space initially, I think we run the risk that people just tune out and everyday folks look at the space uh, race, what's happening in space and say, you know what, that's that's not for me, that's for them, that's for the 0.1%. And we become, you know, I, I don't know if you've heard of the Elysium effect, you know, the, the, the movie Elysium about sort of a private space station where all the rich people live and all the problems are, are down on Earth. But I think we run the risk of having that dynamic. A lot of people say, well, space is, you know, why focus on space? We have so many problems here on Earth. Well, I think we go to space because we have so many problems here on Earth. I think it gives us the ability to look at those problems in new and unique ways and have a perspective that we can bring new solutions to those problems. Yeah, it's a really interesting point because the second point there about how you, you, you use space to, to solve the problems on Earth and advanced technology and all that stuff, and you've talked about that a lot, Sarah, that's interesting. But the first part of that is really interesting, I think, because you know when you see a new industry open up or you see whether it be a product or a service or whatever, you see, first of all, it starts off being really expensive. And the more the technology improves, the more people buy it, the more it reduces the cost down, it becomes then economically a lot more viable. So a good example would be, for example, you know, when you first had a plasma TV or an LCD flat screen TV, they're really expensive. Well, no, they're not very expensive at all. They're actually very cheap. I like the way you're extending your hands out to do the size that of your big, television that as big. well. My, <laughs> mine isn't actually that big, but they can get that big. I was looking at that one on the wall, actually. Yeah, that's quite so, big. <laughs> but, is it, but is it possible to imagine, or is it practically possible for space tourism to be the same way. So what I mean by that is, is it ever realistically viable to bring it down quite that much? On another episode in this series, when we talk about reusable rockets, we talk about how much that brings down the cost of going into space. And it does make a great difference, a big difference. But is it actually possible to get to that level where really it just becomes like a regular holiday, like Dylan's saying there? Well, if, if we are to succeed in space exploration, then there's often this analogy with space tourism being like flight 100 years ago and the rich go first and then you know the prices eventually come down. Yeah. If we're going to succeed exploring beyond Earth, that analogy needs to stop. We, it needs to be something which is accessible to everyone on Earth. It can't just be for the elite. So Space for Humanity, um, which is Dylan's non-profit, working to give, literally give away tourist flights to space. I sit on the board of directors of this. The idea is to provide people from all kinds of backgrounds a trip to space because it can't just be for the elite and the media sometimes gets this headline wrong saying it's just a billionaire space race and it really isn't space is about people like me mm. and other ordinary people who work in the space industry who are trying to open it up so imagine if you sent i don't know a house husband from leeds to space or mm. look if you went to space how would you communicate in you know your experience in a way that someone from a you know a military background or something else couldn't so that that's what it has to be about and it has to be we are in this danger of seeing billionaires go up and think it doesn't relate to us but it, it 
has to be for everyone. Space tourism, of course, costs will come down, but there's also initiatives to get other people into space to have that experience. And I think if we're to succeed, those who are the key players in the industry are looking at sending different type of people. And we've already seen that with Hayley Arsenal, who went up in September 2021. Uh, CM Proctor is another example, who was also involved in the inspiration for crew. She was a woman who at 51 had wanted to be an astronaut her entire life and, and never quite made it. I think she'd become like a finalist mm. with NASA, didn't quite make it. She had a doctor. I think she was saying that two years ago or so, she was going through a divorce um, and broke and living with friends. Mm. And then suddenly she became an astronaut through this initiative called Inspiration4 and she went to space and she became the first African-American female spacecraft pilot, which mm. is incredible. And space is op- opening opportunities for these extraordinary stories. And it's about giving space tourism and giving trips to space for ordinary people, that's what's going to make it so exciting. Of course, the cost will come down, but we need initiatives to change that as well. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, it's really, really fascinating, the development and how it's happening and, and what can be achieved in the future. But we, we talked a little bit earlier about um, the obstacles to, 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 to making this happen. What are the other main ones that we, that we need to consider? Well, there are so many, like like human biology, for example, yeah, and us. That and comes up time and time again. It's annoying. We are we're the biggest failures in exploring space. We, yeah. we are designed to thrive on Earth, yeah. but not so good off Earth. No. So human biology is one. Um, gravity, which I know you want to talk about, so we can yeah. talk about that later. But one of the experts in this area is Ariel Ekblar. She is the director of the MIT Space Exploration Initiative. Minor role there. Yeah. <laughs> and she's talking about some of the serious things which are holding us back right now. And I think we'll also need innovation in space structures. How can we actually build large scale and one day inspiring, enlightening architecture in the way that you walk into a building, certain buildings on earth and are just taken aback by the beauty or the sublimity of the space. Can we begin to have that creative and technical freedom in space architecture so that we are both protecting and keeping the human safe, but also delighting them with these incredible new affordances that life in microgravity gives us. I love this because Ariel's not just thinking about the challenges and the obstacles, but she's also thinking about how to make it, it be, make it a, a pleasurable, habitable, interesting, enjoyable environment for people when they get there. And I think sometimes when people are developing or, or, or technologically advancing in new areas, they just think about all the practical stuff. We need to do this, this, and this, but they don't think about the aesthetics and the experience. And that's why that's really important, I think, because if you want to generate this into a proper industry and do all the things you were talking about earlier, Sarah, giving people the opportunities, you need to make it enjoyable. Because if they go up there and have the most terrifying experience of their life, or it's very, very... I love the fear on your no, face it, when yeah, you say it's that. True, it's true, though. They're not, they're not necessarily going to want to wax lyrical about it or eulogize about how great it is. And that's a really important part of it. And if you're looking at sending people up there for leisure, essentially, and experiences and to open their minds, do all these amazing, almost intangible things that really advance the human race, you've got to give it the best shot at making it a great experience for people because they're not scientists. They're not professional full-time astronauts. They're not looking at the practical all the time. They're not going, right, I've got this mission and I've got to achieve this mission. I've got to satisfy this and tick all these boxes. They're going, we're going up there for intangible, interesting reasons and that stuff's got to be taken into account. Yeah, and and right now, going to space is very basic. You know, it seems very glamorous, but it's extremely basic. You can watch a movie, apparently. Pardon? You can watch a movie. Yeah, you can watch a movie in space. We will allow you to watch a movie. But why would you want to when you can look out the window and and see that? It feels a bit of a waste of time. It feels a bit like going on holiday to the Maldives and not leaving the hotel room. 
Yeah. To just watch a movie when you're up in space. Exactly. I understand if you're working up there and you're there all the time, you want to break it up a little bit. But if you're there for a little trip, you need to be making the most of it. But you can imagine going to that space hotel. And this is why space seems like it is for scientists and engineers and it was for so long. But actually, listening to what Ariel's saying, it's about artists and, and creatives and having all the great stuff we've done on Earth, architecture, everything, you know, mm. great imaginations and making that experience incredible. And, and you know, what an amazing future for architects to be able to design hotels in space and you know we've got space tourism is a real thing now it's no longer science fiction and the next natural step from that is a hotel in space orbital missions and then a hotel in space so it's something which is edging ever closer and, and you can imagine people who are maybe even just starting university right now they might be the ones designing the, the these great works of art you know and, and a hotel which is in space and no longer just something which has to be a scientific laboratory but something which is can think about the aesthetics, can think about the art. Yeah. And as we, we send different types of people to space. So, as you know, we sent scientists and engineers and military people to space and they they were moved by the emotion of seeing Earth. Send a poet to space and yeah. stay in a space hotel. And that would yeah. just be imagine all the new art, the new music. It's a whole new come. frontier. It's a whole new frontier Literally. for things like architecture. It's a whole new frontier for inspiration of great art, whether that be songwriting, poetry literature, movie making, all the rest of it, it's going to play a huge part in how people uh, can open another, entirely another part of their mind to this beauty and this um, this endless amount of possibilities that exist from off the planet. And with that as well, with this technology we're developing now to look at how we can improve living in space, comes tangible benefits to improve life on Earth. If you go into extreme environments on Earth uh, or if you're um, looking at climate change, for example, so much of the stuff we're doing in space and the technology to enable space tourism. And, and I need to stress space tourism in terms of the investor market for space isn't even 0.1% in terms of the capital going into it. So much of what we do in space mm. is about Earth, it's about science, it's about data, but that tiny fraction, let mm. that tiny fraction be for imagination and see mm. the great Absolutely. things it achieves. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. plushcare.com slash weightloss. We are still dreaming of that hotel in space. But the difference today and for our future is that there are scientists, engineers and architects, as well as a few maverick entrepreneurs working to make that dream a reality. I have absolutely no doubt in my mind that there will be a space hotel within the next 10 years in orbit around the Earth. Why? Because there's an incredibly good business plan behind it, because millions of people want to go to space, and because the technology to provide such a hotel is getting closer and closer every day in terms of its cost effectiveness. New space companies such as Blue Origin, Virgin and SpaceX are helping to enable more and more people to visit space as paying passengers. There will also soon be trips available to the edge of space, riding capsules attached to special high-altitude balloons. This will allow future passengers to hover at the brink of our atmosphere, taking in the views of our fragile Earth set against the blackness of space. What I experienced in space the first time I looked out the window was an uh, indescribable feeling of, of gratitude. Gratitude for the opportunity to see the planet from that vantage point and gratitude for the planet that we've been given. And I think in a way that I, I won't be able to fully explain, being physically detached from the Earth made me feel deeply interconnected and deeply interdependent with everyone on it. I think I saw the true unity of our planet, the true unity of our species, and all those things we fight over and quarrel over, all those things we think are so important, kind of blurred into insignificance in the face of that indescribable beauty. As for staying in space, there are plans by a company called Axiom to fly the first ever private missions to the International Space Station. And the company is developing the first private space station with the potential to be visited by future tourists. Back in the 1920s and 30s, only very, very wealthy people could fly. Now people get on an airplane to go to a birthday party. That's going to happen in commercial human spaceflight. Others, such as Orbital Assembly, are working on concepts for orbital hotels with artificial gravity and rooms with an out-of-this-world view. As more and more humans get to experience short space tourism flights, the next natural step will be a hotel in orbit. The only question that remains is when. Yeah, it's tremendously exciting. I mean, I looked, I was reading something um, earlier about um, the Gateway Foundation's plan to, to put a big rotating, almost like a spinning ring into Earth's orbit, very reminiscent of the of the um, spacecraft in um, 2001, um, which because of the rotation, offers you about one-sixth of the Earth's gravity, which solves a lot of those problems. Because we haven't mentioned that word yet. You talked about microgravity earlier in the International Space Station and all the rest of it. But we also talked elsewhere in this series about the impacts that very, very low gravity has on people's bodies. You're thinking maybe people who aren't at peak fitness but still might want to go and enjoy, maybe older people. You know, you know, if you want to spend a reasonable amount of time up there, you need to solve that gravity problem. Is that right? Yeah, certainly as a tourist. Um, so we've looked at the idea of artificial gravity in space by a big rotational wheel, as you just talked about. And astronauts on board the International Space Station, they lose a lot of bone density and muscle mass. So they have to exercise for two or three hours every single day and doing lots yeah. of weight training. And when they come back, they're kind of, you know, they're like jelly. They need to be helped. It, it takes a few weeks to recover. So yeah. for tourists going to space, obviously someone staying on a, in a space hotel might want to experience artificial gravity then others might just be there for the view or they might want a mix of everything. So certainly finding a way to beat gravity. And I have to be clear, there is 
there is still gravity in space. Astronauts yeah. orbiting around the Earth, they're actually falling back to Earth because of the speeds the spacecraft are travelling at. So um, it's not quite zero gravity. No, it's called microgravity yeah. is a technical word. Yeah. But um, So the, there is a, a thinking that certainly in the long-term future and perhaps the space hotel will be something which has some form of artificial gravity, something which can overcome that hurdle. So at least there's, there's some normality in space. It'd probably mm. be easier to then... Um, have a more normal life. It leads us to, you know, a really exciting place. Like, how would you imagine, how would you like to see a space hotel? What would you want? Yeah, I think as we talked about a little bit earlier, I mean, the most thing would be the view, the experience. Um, but but, but I'm, I'm interested in the idea that it becomes a permanent hotel, like a, a permanent holiday destination of choice for regular people, which would yeah. be incredible. And then you, you talk, we talked to as well, haven't we, elsewhere in this series about establishing permanent bases on places like Mars and the moon and, actually branching out as a civilization and becoming a multi-planetary species. Leisure and tourism is necessarily going to have to become a part of that. Yeah, it pays for it. You know, it's, it's only a small part of it, as I stress, but it, it does it does pay for this new technology. And I love the way that, you know, how you sometimes stay, if you're on a road trip and you might stay at like a roadside motel yeah. or something, perhaps a hotel in orbit yeah. could one day for our great, great, great grandchildren be somewhere they stay before yeah. they go on a trip towards, I don't know, the moon or Mars or something. Yeah. So it's, it's a little far away right now, but it is edging closer. Now, Ariel Etwell, who we've heard from earlier, told us about the differences we might see on a space hotel compared to a regular space station. Certain things that you could expect to be a little bit different in a space hotel would be more room for berthing. So more, and by births, I mean the, the bed space. Of course, we don't really have just horizontal lie flat beds in space. It would be more like a, a small space cocoon or a sleeping bag, but probably more space for more inhabitants. We've also learned to try to keep, and this is going to be a little funny, but to keep the noisy smelling stuff separate from the peaceful uh, need for relaxation, need for private space. And so the hope is that in a future space hotel, there'd be really more dedicated modules for eating, uh, for exercising, for um, taking care of our human waste needs, and that those could be more separate and distinct from the sleeping quarters or the recreational areas. Yeah, well, that's absolutely vital. Absolutely. Well, to get vital. the noisy smelling yeah, stuff away. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's what people are going to expect as well, yeah, standard. You want a bit of luxury. It's like um, it's basically camping, isn't it? Yeah. Going to space right now, but you want a bit of luxury. But there, there will be, it, it's going to happen as mm. far as I'm concerned. And mm. it's just exciting. And I, I love the fact that, or even a young person, you can just imagine what you might want to design when you, you know, kids in school right now could grow up to become space hotel designers. And that to me is exciting. Very exciting, um, isn't it? So as we come to the part of the show where we decide whether we're talking about science fiction or science prediction, it feels as if we're on the right track with space hotels and that they're you know, not too far around the corner. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Space hotels are not only being thought about right now, they're being designed and developed. But let's give Laura Forzik the final word. Yeah, they're science facts. Space, space hotels are a science future, I would say. So they are almost in existence in that we have had space tourists in a way to the International Space Station. And so while International Space Station is not a space hotel, you can imagine very soon in the future, you know, not not centuries away, that you will have a dedicated facility called a space hotel for the purpose of flying people like you and me to space. Great stuff. Are you going to go? I mean... <sighs> You keep asking me about it, about all this different stuff on on this series, and I, I kind of feel like more than ever, 
I'm a bit of a scaredy cat about stuff. So maybe I just need to get over it and get on with it. Just once you're in the rocket, you've got no choice. I know. Like, it's that's, not that's, that's what I'm worried about. Like, <laughs> that's what I'm worried about. You're going. Yeah. No, apparently, um, someone who was, who was on the um, space launch with William Shatner, he, um, so this is the Blue Origin launch, which took yeah. William Shatner to space at the age of 90, which is incredible to think that yeah. but 90 year olds can now go to space. But he was saying the, um, the takeoff um, was no different really or not that much different to actually take off on a plane on an aeroplane oh, I thought you were going to say that when he was on the Starship, Starship Enterprise no, no. <laughs> but isn't it incredible so you know Shatner 90 years old yeah. has gone to space the type of person who can go to space is changing and that's good like you don't have to be as physically healthy as you wanted to go to space and, and that's what's so exciting um, for me is that different types of people can go people from different backgrounds you know William Shatner going to space is science fiction literally turning into science prediction because he was playing someone who worked in space in the mm. 60s when we started going to space mm-hmm. and now he's an astronaut himself at the age of 90 um, and one thing which is so important that you know the more astronauts we mint the more humans who travel to space and of course there's semantics so will you call them an astronaut or not but you know if you're brave enough to ride in a rocket as far as I'm concerned you're, yeah. a, you're an astronaut you're a space traveler but the more people we send to space the more people We'll get that view of Earth, and, and it does. It, it changes astronaut, there's, astronauts. There's a term for it known as the overview effect to mm-hmm. describe the transformative potential and the transformative effect of, of seeing the Earth from space. And, and no better to speak about that are astronauts. And, and Ed Loom is a, a former NASA astronaut, and, and one of his hopes for the future is that more and more people will get to see that view. But I hope many, many people get a chance to uh, see the Earth from space. Or, and to venture out there. I believe someday it's going to be very, very common. I, I actually believe my kids will someday have that opportunity to go to space. And, uh, you know, not just as a, you know, and eventually beyond that, I think, you know, people will be living in other locations. So it won't be just short trips. You know, eventually we're going to get to the point where there are settlements in other locations around around our solar system. can't tell you when that's going to be, but I'm... I, I know that's going to happen someday. So I just, I love the fact he's an astronaut mm. and he's saying, you know, his excitement for the future. And, you know, this is someone who did it as a profession. And now going to space is something which is slowly being handed over to people who don't have to be professional astronauts. And it just, it, you know, I, I overuse this word excited, but it is such an exciting time for you space know, exploration. I think based on what you said earlier and the overview effect, there's your, um, there's your marketing campaign there, you know. Yeah. Experience the overview effect here with us. I mean, if it's, if it's something that genuinely changes people's lives, gives them a whole new perspective on life, uh, makes them think about the world in an entirely new way. Um, and that, that's an amazing thing. It's an incredible thing. Um, so experience the overview effect. Go to a space hotel. Are you going to work in space hotel marketing? Do you think? I, I could. I would, yeah, I would definitely be using that as a line if I, if I did. Because that's, that, that, that's, that's something you can literally get nowhere else. So what a great way of, of getting people to, to get involved by giving them an opportunity to experience something so profound. And to realise we're all on this planet, we're all in this together, and they talk about the astronauts who've gone to space, and they, if you're religious, you come back more religious. If you're not religious, you, you might come back more philosophical. You, yeah. you know, everyone comes back with this deep care for our planet, and you can imagine perhaps a, a future climate conference taking place in orbit in a space hotel, and then people could really understand why it matters, why we have to implement those changes, because... It just gives us a new perspective. We think the Earth's so big. We think that we're so great and we're so grand. But in the vastness of the universe, we're but a speck. And this is the only real home we've got. So we need to look after it. And 
what's happening now is, is space hotel space tourism is now real it's no longer science fiction space hotels are happening and as a result of that we'll see more people in space more people garnering that new perspective and it will bring back good for humanity as well as just a bit of joy Thanks for listening to today's episode. And since what goes up must come down, I did not write that pun, join us next week as we ask, where's my reusable rocket? Zero, all engine running. Where's My Jetpack is a stack production presented by me, Sarah Credis, and Luke Moore. The production team is Charlie Morgan, Luke Moore, and Sarah Credis. Our sound designer and editor is Tom Wally. Additional sound design by Katie Baxter. Where's My Jetpack is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.